You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. New Jersey bore a heavy burden at the outset of the pandemic as the tri-state region became the epicenter for the coronavirus in America. In this episode of our Leadership During Crisis series, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy joined the Washington Post to discuss the toll the virus has taken on the Garden State, both in lives and dollars. Let's listen. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Bob Costa, a national political reporter at The Post. This morning, we continue our Leadership During Crisis series on how leaders nationwide in both parties are confronting the coronavirus pandemic. Our guest this morning is Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey. Governor Murphy is a Democrat elected to his office in 2017. He previously served as U.S. Ambassador to Germany after being nominated by President Obama. Then he was confirmed by the Senate. Before that post, he had a long career in banking. Governor Murphy, welcome. Good to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Governor, case numbers are soaring in different areas of the country. Parents and others are on edge. Are case numbers this morning in New Jersey ticking up or ticking down? The number of positive cases is holding steady in the sort of uh, plus or minus two to 400 range. Uh, Today, we've got a little bit better news on rate of transmission and how many of those tests uh, are positive, so our spot positivity rate. Uh, But we're watching this, you know, as you can imagine, every minute of every day, we're making our decisions, both when we shut the state and now that we're slowly but surely reopening it based on the facts and the science. And uh, we're watching it. Our rate of transmission started to creep up uncomfortably over the past week, and so that's a particular reason why uh, we we decided to put off uh, indoor dining as an example, uh, why we've gone to uh, um, face covering, not just we were the first state to mandate it indoors, we're now mandating it outdoors. Um, we're watching this very closely, particularly given not only what we've been through, but what other states are going through as we speak. You have those beautiful beaches in your state. Are people following social distancing guidelines at the Jersey Shore? We think for the most part, yes. And I want to give a shout out to the counties and the municipalities with which we have worked as we reopened our our beaches. The shore is a gem. It's a national gem. It's a huge piece of our economy. Folks, for the most part, and this has been the case, Bob, from day one, for the most part, folks have been extraordinarily compliant and responsible. We've always, we've had some some knuckleheads, as we call them along the way, but we haven't had many, in fairness, and, and the beach is no exception. When you look at the school issue, where is your head at on that decision? Will schools in New Jersey be having in-person learning this fall? As I sit here on July 10, recognizing, I don't know whether or not we could have predicted where we'd be on July 10, six or eight weeks ago. The answer is, as of today, yes. Our Commissioner of Education and Commissioner of Health combined to put out uh, very comprehensive guidelines a couple of weeks ago. We have uh, many school districts in our state. It's the number one public education system in America. Uh, We've asked these districts, as we did when we closed, to put together their plans based on our guidance and parameters and, 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 and come back to us as they reopen with their plans. I think, Bob, the toughest nut that we're all going to have to deal with, not just in New Jersey, but anywhere there's in-person education, because we, the social distancing, the face covering, the hygiene, testing, everything that we know will need to be a part of this, 
is preventing the, the spread of the virus from an asymptomatic, healthy young person to a, either an older educator or administrator or parent or someone with comorbidities. That's going to be the toughest challenge, I think, not just in New Jersey, but anywhere there's school. When you say there are comprehensive guidelines, Governor, how is that actually going to be enforced in hallways, in schools where you have cramped classrooms? Well, capacity limitations is one of those guidelines. So a cramped classroom uh, is probably no longer going to be part of the lexicon, at least for the school year that's before us. Uh, we, we, we ask each of the districts, uh, the superintendent on down, to be the uh, not only put the plans together, but execute those plans. Uh, and clearly, the Department of Education, the Department of Health uh, can do and does spot checks around the state, and they do that regularly and, and, uh, and, and meaningfully, but we're leaving it up to the local superintendents and their principals and educators and administrators uh, uh, to, to execute the plan. We have no reason to believe that they can't uh, do that. They're outstanding professionals. So if those local leaders and administrators have discretion over how to enforce those guidelines and work those guidelines, who will have discretion in terms of shutting down schools if necessary? Is that still in your hands as governor or is that a local decision? It's really both. I mean, when we shut schools in March, um, many of the school districts, with our blessing, by the way, had already submitted their plans of closure uh, before we made the statewide decision to shut down completely. We wanted to get that decision right. We, we have to remember uh, there's an enormous, while there's a huge public health reality that we're talking about, there's also um, a lot of kids in our state um, who rely on schools for their only hot meal of the day. Uh, there are a lot of kids in the state who don't have access yet to a device or internet access. Um, and so that had to be part of the plans as we shut to give two examples. Uh, and as long as we can be responsible on the pu public health front, they're also a part, in addition to the education and the, and the richness of that experience, that's also a factor in terms of the plans to reopen. Governor, I want to come back to that term you just used, knuckleheads, to describe people who aren't following uh, the guidelines in the Garden State. You had signed this executive order this week, manda ma having mandatory face coverings outside in public areas in New Jersey. How strict is enforcement going to be? There are, there's possible jail time, fines on the horizon if you don't follow this executive order, but how will you, how tough will you be in enforcing it? So Bob, this is one of the reasons why we would not have done this earlier. There, there, there's really two reasons. And, and, and the most important one is the virus based on all the evidence is a lot less lethal outdoors than it is indoors. Uh, and that's that that's a fact, and that's something that's that, that's underpinned a lot of the decisions and the sequencing of our decisions. The other reason is it's darn hard to 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 enforce. Um, and so it's mandatory when social distancing is not practicable. So if you're out uh, with your husband or wife or by yourself running uh, or walking in the neighborhood or walking your dog, we're not that, that's not what we're after. What we're after is on a crowded boardwalk, when you're with other folks who are strangers or not part of your family, you're waiting in line for a slice of pizza, you're congregating, that's where folks are going to get uh, attention. They're going to be warned, uh, most likely. This is going to be up to local law enforcement, obviously, but I would suspect that the sequence is first a warning 
and then uh, a summons of some kind. We, 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 mean, we, we would not put this in place if we didn't mean business. Um, but as you rightfully point out, uh, this is probably of all the steps we've taken, this is the hardest to enforce. We, we're really relying on personal responsibility. Uh, we've got a good reason to do that, as I mentioned earlier, in New Jersey, because from moment one, folks have been overwhelmingly responsible and compliant, and we need them to continue to be. When you say local law enforcement will be able to make a lot of these decisions, are some of them pushing back against this EO and saying, we have other crimes to pursue, we can't really enforce this at this moment, or are they eager to, to enforce it? I'm not sure I'd say eager to enforce it, but we, we haven't had pushback. Folks, uh, including in law enforcement, understand that this virus is lethal, it's a killer, uh, and that we have no therapeutics, we have no vaccine, and God willing, we, we get both sooner than later, but the only things we've got at our disposal are social distancing, face coverings, washing hands with soap and water, staying away from people if you if you don't feel well, get tested. We're built from nothing to one of the highest per capita testing capacities in the nation. Folks get that, including law enforcement. Uh, and, and again, God willing, we'll, we'll see the responsible behavior by our residents and uh, and and this will be this will be less of a, a of an issue. Some of your Republican critics in Trenton, they're hitting back at you. Assemblywoman Holly Shapizi, a Republican, for example, said you're acting like, quote, an exalted ruler with this executive order. What's your response? I, I don't pay much attention to that. That's, that's, those are people trying to score political points. Uh, why, why, would I have, why would I take joy in making people cover their face uh, if, it, if it weren't uh, to save lives, then that's what we're trying to do. We're making our decisions based on the facts, on science, um, and I, I literally don't pay any attention to personal, uh, uh, political or personal uh, points that people are trying to make. We have no time for that. This thing has killed over 13,000 people in New Jersey, and I don't want it to kill anyone else. When we were talking about schools, you talked about how you may need to have some new things in classrooms, dividers, different things to help teachers and administrators, which brings us to the issue of Congress and stimulus and state aid. How much does New Jersey need in direct state aid if there's an, another round of stimulus? Short answer is $20 billion uh, between mid this year and the end of next year. Uh, we've had, you know, like, like, like every state that's had to deal with this, and now, unfortunately, you're seeing states of all shapes and sizes, political stripes, uh, expenses are going through the roof uh, to deal with this, and revenues have fallen off a cliff. Uh, we just signed a short-term budget in, in, in for only a three-plus-month period. We had to cut or defer $5.2 billion worth of uh, ex expenditures. And these are, pro you know, this is to keep, it, this is not some uh, nice-to-have stuff either. This is essential uh, programs in our state. And so that's the number that we believe uh, is the number for New Jersey, and that's to allow us to keep firefighters, police, educators, healthcare workers, EMS folks uh, in their positions and, and, and serving uh, our residents in, in our hour of need. But it's a big number, and we need it sooner than later. And in the meantime, Governor, you're asking your cabinet to seek 15% cuts across the board. Could that number, that percentage, increase in the coming months if there's not another round of stimulus? Yes, unfortunately, and 15% is, is an enormous bite out of any of these uh, uh, departmental budgets. Uh, yes, the, the number could go up um, if either we don't get the federal cash 
or sadly, and please, God, I hope this isn't the case, that the virus reignites. Um, you know, right now, we're only as strong as our weakest link in the country right now. And so this virus, the, the notion that you could bat a thousand inside of your own state and get everything right and still have the virus flare up is a reality, sadly. So, yes, the, the number could go up for either of those reasons. You've also talked about, Governor, quote, revenue raisers. And as someone who covers Congress, they could take their, their time in coming up with another round of stimulus. When you talk about revenue raisers, the real question is, are you prepared to raise taxes to try to fill this revenue shortfall? Bob, I think everything's got to be on the table. Um, we're going to, we need our legislature to give us the right to borrow from the Fed program, which is something that gives me no joy, but we have no other choice. We need the federal cash and we're likely going to need revenue raisers. Um, and so the answer uh, has to be everything's on the table, but uh, there's no amount of revenue we can raise that comes close to the, uh, the, the hole that we've got at the moment. So it can't be in lieu of either borrowing or federal cash. It's an element in the program to deal with this, but it can't be the only element. In terms of revenue raisers, you say everything's on the table, but what is actually on the table? Would it be an increase in tolls, something else? Yeah, this, the, the, the highway reality is a separate one. Uh, too early to tell, Bob, too early to tell, but um, there, there's, uh, this is not specific to the pandemic, but the pandemic has exposed enormous inequities in our state. I got elected, as you mentioned, in 2017, and I got elected on, on the concept that we need to build a stronger and fairer New Jersey that works not just for some, but for everybody. We've made a lot of progress. We still have a long way to go. So the notion of some targeted revenue raisers that can help us accelerate the closing of the gaps that we inherited in the state, particularly along racial and socioeconomic lines, those would, for me at least, it's too early to tell, but those are the most appealing. Well, let's let's talk about President Trump. What is your level of communication with him at this moment? He seemed to be consulting you and governors a lot early on. Is that still the case? We haven't had as much direct person-to-person -person contact in the past couple of weeks, but I, I don't ascribe that to anything other than the, the fires are raging elsewhere and the fires here, while they're still going on, are, are meaningfully better, but we are in touch regularly uh, with the White House at the most senior levels, uh, including the president, vice president, and senior advisors. And, and when the fire was raging at the highest here, we were able to find, and I'm, I will continue to be grateful for that uh, forever and always, we were able to find common ground on things like ventilators, bed capacity, testing, personal protective equipment, et cetera. Are you disappointed that he's less engaged with you and other governors at this time? Now, I can't speak for other governors, so I have no reason to believe that he's not engaged with the governors where the where the virus is raging. No, I'm not disappointed. I do think, and I've said this publicly, I do think a national strategy here on things like face coverings uh, would really help. Uh, and I hope we get to that. This isn't political. Uh, you mentioned some silly political shots that are being fired in New Jersey. You see those around the country. Uh, it isn't political. It's it's based on science. It's based on the virus and how it works, and it's based on saving lives. And I would love to see uh, a, the current system where I mentioned you're only as strong as your weakest link. I'd like to see that transformed into a national reality on, on certain principles that we all 
are adhering to. Should the president wear a mask or a face covering more often? Listen, I think everybody should. Now, I'm not wearing it right now, and I can't speak, for instance, if the president's making a speech. I, I myself uh, am a big mask uh, guy, but I take it off for that. But I think if you're going to be in a situation where you can't social distance uh, inside or outside, I think we should all be wearing face coverings. What do you make of Dr. Anthony Fauci saying he has not briefed the president since June, early June? What does that tell you about the state of the federal response? Uh, listen, I, I don't have any insight into that other than um, other than he's been terrific uh, as a general role model, but also in private exchanges with us. He's been great. Uh, we've had very good, consistent lines of communication to folks like him and Deborah Burks and uh, Admiral uh, Brett Girard and Alex Azar and others on that team. Um, this is the time. This is a time for science to be. Uh, the basis upon which we make our decisions. And I, I view him as an extraordinary role model in that regard. What's, the, what's your plan for the quarantine policy in New Jersey for states around uh, that have seen a spike in cases? Is that going to be extended at all this summer? Yeah, it's for the foreseeable future, unfortunately. So New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey, a couple of, I guess, 10 days or two weeks ago at this point, uh, we, we put out a joint statement that if you're coming back from a hotspot state or you're coming visiting from a hotspot state, we need you to self-quarantine uh, and get tested. Uh, we're the United States of America. I never thought I'd say this, but I, in a perfect world, I'd be building a wall around the place right now. Uh, but uh, we can't do, we, you can't uh, prohibit folks from traveling from one state to another. Uh, so we're, this is another one where we're asking for personal responsibility. It's going to be a it's gonna be a heavy dose of testing and contact tracing. We've got a community core of tracers that we're building by the day. And we've already had some, we've already had some examples of this. So this is not abstract. We had a couple of families go to a wedding in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They came back and tested positive. We had some flare-ups from other states in Hoboken. And we were in each case, we're able to uh, trace those down and track them down. Um, and again, it's, it's another item on the list of overwhelming uh, personal responsibility in terms of the behavior of folks. Governor, are you going to go to the Democratic National Convention? At the moment, I, I am not. I, I believe this is going to be a combination, as far as I understand it, from the DNC, a combination of mo modest amount of in-person uh, uh, activities, I, I guess, in Milwaukee and, and, and then the rest around the country. At the moment, not. I am the chair of the Democratic Governors Association, and in a normal convention, I would have addressed the convention. So it's possible I'll do that remote. But I, at the moment, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say heck no. But but at the moment, I've got no no plans to be there. What should the presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden have as his message when he speaks to the country this summer in Milwaukee? What is what does he need to say to convince the country to elect him? and to maybe have a higher profile amid this pandemic and President Trump? I mean, it's an extraordinary, the question on profile uh, is another casualty of uh, this uh, pandemic. And you, it's, a, it's a, an election unlike any we've ever seen before. We just held our primary earlier this week. We had a hybrid election, uh, both a lot of vote by mail and some scaled down in person and uh, uh, voting, and it feels like it worked well. I think, listen, I'm, I've known uh, the vice president a long time. I'm a big fan. 
He's a, he's an American uh, hero in so many respects. I think he's got to present his himself. I mean, his his life story speaks to uh, what informs his policies, what he stands for. Um, I think as it relates to the, the the pandemic discussion we're having, I think he's got to reiterate that he's going to make decisions based on the facts and based on the science, uh, because I think that's what we need right now as a nation. Uh, and I know that he believes that. Uh, and and I you know, like any while it's incredibly unusual, some things never change. And and his presentation of his candidacy has to include his vision for for our country uh, going forward, both in our not just the pandemic, but our economy and social justice, our presence uh, in the world and our you know foreign policy beliefs. Um, I think you just got to he's got to lay that out. And, and this is who I am and this is what I stand for. Just final question here, based on your own experience, would you like to see a real affirmation of NATO in the U.S.-European uh, relationship from Vice President Biden? I would. I mean, I think our transatlantic relations continue to be, we've got a lot of really good relationships around the world, but the transatlantic bridge is the is the bulwark for the past 75 years. Uh, and it's not just NATO, it's, it's, it's NATO, but it certainly is NATO. It is our bilateral relations. As you mentioned earlier, I was the U.S. ambassador to Germany. Uh, we have no better ally in the world than Germany. I think it's our military presence. Um, I think it's our relationship with the European Union. I, I think the stronger those relations are, the stronger the global community is. And that's not just a nice thing to, uh, to, to stand for. That's all, all of the above is in the, in the cold-blooded interests of the United States of America. Well, Governor, I know that's all the time we have this morning. Hope you come back to Washington Post Live at some point. Uh, appreciate your time very much. Bob, great uh, being with you, and thank you so much for having me, and I'd, I'd be delighted to come back. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.